Welcome into church. You here for this? Yes, Merry Christmas to you. I'm excited to be here with you. I just want to take a moment to say, sitting side stage, it made me realize this one thing about what we do when we gather together and we sing. It's a strong reorienting to the things that matter actually in our lives. I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm out there, especially over the course of the week, the things that should be loud become soft and the things that should be soft become loud. And I get confused about how God feels about me and I especially get confused about how I feel about God. Anybody with me in that boat? Life can get us turned around and spun around. We get together and we sing, and some, you know, some of us aren't into music that much. That's okay. But we get together and we sing, and we're saying, you know what? This is actually what matters. We are fed so much stuff on a weekly basis that says, no, this matters, or this matters, or you don't matter, or you should matter more. But when we align ourselves in front of God, the old song that they taught us long ago that says, the things of the world, they become dim and strangely dim to us as we detach from them and we attach to God. That's what happens at the beginning of a service at Vertical Church, and thank God for it. Are you with me on that? We're launching into the last week actually of this series, Everlasting Light. We're discussing kind of a difficult topic that you run into often in scripture. And we're gonna jump right in because I've had a week off and a long time to plan today, all right? I hope you brought your snacks, right? So let's jump into this here. If the first Christmas shows us that God has a rescuing heart, if he's bent on rescue, and this is a big statement we've been making throughout the series, then how does he actually do it today? As we open the pages of the Bible, we see this obviously, but in our lives, it can become confusing. We're miles and generations away from Bethlehem, aren't we? And if we're honest, we feel miles and generations at times away from God. Amidst all this talk about light, it can feel as if we'd in, we've entered into a room and in the darkness, we just can't find the switch. We know it's there, and we know if we find the switch, it will solve our problem. But the longer that we exist in the darkness, the more our eyes begin to adjust, and we become comfortable not finding the switch, even though we knew we know we should. We all know there's a better choice, and that choice is actually finding the light to find the switch. Here's how Austin put it last week in his beautiful teaching. He said this phrase, being in the light is not always light work, is it, Vertical Church? All right, we'll take a break here. We do a little bit of orientation here about how this goes. When I'm teaching, I have a very large ego, all right? Very, thank you, thank you. On cue, I've got paid $5 out in the lobby. If I say something that you agree with, you be like, yeah, that's it. Say it again, amen, whatever your version is. So there you go. Keep going. Without spending too much time on this, I do have to stop here and address something that's been bothering me so much as of late. As a modern church, we've not only undersold Jesus, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we've also undersold just how difficult it is to be a part of a church, to follow Jesus well. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being light is difficult work, mostly because it requires change from us and we all know how much we like change. 
And this change isn't about developing better habits through the Christian TED Talks that have run rampant through our churches these days or applying just a few tight verses from the book of Proverbs that we can all feel comfortable with. The church tried this in the early 2010s. Most of my teachings were covered in that, in that stage. And we learned through the pandemic that this sort of being Christian just isn't going to help us when the darkness moves into our story and things become more difficult than we anticipated. It's hard with that background to be children of light and darkness, isn't it? This change, the change that Jesus Christ himself calls us to requires a change in identity, and that's difficult. And let me say this is worth talking about before we move on today. The Bible puts it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I love this phrase. We're going to come back to it. But you are not like that. You're a chosen people. You're royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. This is kind of the difficult part about this teaching. I'm going to get it out of the way first so we can move on to better things. The darkness, no matter how holy you are today, is where you used to live. Don't forget that. Should I repeat it? Maybe just for me. The darkness, no matter how holy you are right now sitting in those gray chairs, is where you used to live. The Christian-induced amnesia is the garden in which judgment and distance and hatred eventually grow. Remember, Vertical Church, when it comes to the darkness, you were once there too. It may have been a long time ago, but at one point, we all paid rent in the darkness district. Remember the before and after that, Jesus, that Austin, typically confused there, that Austin taught us about last week. I'm encouraging you this morning to live out your after, but if you want to keep your compassion intact, you remember your before. Let's focus on this phrase for just a moment because it's been so pivotal in my Christian journey, but you're not like that. That grabbed my attention and I hope that it has grabbed yours. There have been moments in my story where people in this very room have had to say this phrase exactly to me, especially when my actions showed an allegiance with the dark. You need people in your story, no matter how you're acting in the moment, that can look at you and say, yes, I understand those were your actions last night, but I need to remind you in church this morning, you're not like that. The reality is you are purchased with the price. You are so valuable and the enemy will try to remind you of the things that you used to do even if it was two hours ago in order to trap you there. But the message of the everlasting light is that Jesus Christ loved us enough to pull us out of the darkness on his own initiative and put us into the everlasting light. So if we distance ourselves from that, you must understand there is a way back. These verses were written by a man named Peter who understood this very well, this failure to success ratio. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was taking on the way that God had described the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He was picking it up and he was applying it to the church, to modern Christians, not just the church back then, but the church now. It leads us to this big phrase that I don't want you to forget that sounds this way. Our identity illuminates our God. 
how we act, the way that we participate inside of this church and inside of our culture lets others know the type of God that we serve based on the way that you're living. What kind of God do people believe that you follow? Is he a God of the light? Is he a God of grace and mercy as the Bible teaches that matches the need newly every single day? Remember, being light isn't easy. It's the opposite of easy. Some days it's so hard because darkness is light's backdrop. Darkness is the water in which the follower of Jesus must swim. And today, this is causing us problems, more problems than ever. I'm reminding us this morning, introducing some of us to this new idea that at its very base, darkness is confusing and disorienting. If you were to take in the temperature of the day and turn on your television or your YouTube this afternoon, could you describe everything almost that you experience through those channels as confusing and disorienting? Let's make it a little more personal this morning. Have you ever been swept up into the darkness only later to realize how inappropriate and ridiculous you were acting? Spouses, leave each other alone on this one. Have you ever chosen the comfort, and this is my problem, the comfort and cover of darkness only to realize that same darkness in the end calls out fear and anxiety in you? It's a bait and switch of the darkness. Have you fallen for it too? I'd like to take some time here and quote theologian John Mayer. This is how he put it. You're welcome. The same drink that gets me out the door is the same drink that puts me on the floor. That new thing I want to try some more is the same mistake I used to make before. That's so honest it sounds biblical. That's everyone's story, isn't it? I love that about this place. We don't have to pretend that we don't have a before. In fact, our, our before is what makes our after so godly. We've all been there, but I'm hoping that collectively today we can say, we don't wanna be there anymore. And maybe that's a long time ago in our past, or maybe it was just last night, but I wanna talk about the fact that the people of this community, we have become bent on following Jesus well, better. Remember something we said a few weeks ago about Jesus and the how. We said that Jesus holds the house. So the question for this morning is, how do we live as light surrounded by darkness? Jesus holds the how, and I wanna give you this picture just in your mind to hang on to as we go throughout the rest of the morning. Jesus holds the how, and he holds it very open-handedly. The trick is we must care enough to reach out and grab it and own it for ourselves and carry it throughout our story. Jesus, in a strange way, refuses to force himself upon us. So today we're going to learn how to care in a different way. And what we're gonna do is listen to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter five. We're zooming through this. Is everybody okay? Nobody has a problem with short church, do they? Me neither. Jesus teaches us something in Matthew chapter five about what to do with the darkness. And I would challenge us and encourage us to take our cues from Jesus, even over and above other Christians on social media about how we should be acting in our world today. 
The news outlets do not get the right or the privilege to tell the Jesus follower how to live. Jesus instructs us in the way to be. And if we have departed from that instruction, even following well-meaning instructors, we have distanced ourselves from the everlasting light. This is how we get back. We tune in to his channel, to his podcast, to his vlog, and we listen to the things that he's trying to tell us. Jesus starts out with a quick right cross. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why would we do that, Jesus? So that they may see your good works and give glory to you. Unfortunately, it doesn't read that way. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, how we shine our light has been a source of great debate lately, especially over the past two years in our country, and sadly to say, even inside of our churches. It feels this way, and this will be the most kind of preacher thing that I'll say for the morning, so stay tuned. It feels like we've been given a classic choice between two evils. When it comes to interacting with darkness, the first choice we're given is to submit to it. Now, we call this other things to make it feel a little more bearable. We call it going with the flow, getting in to fit in. This is my favorite one lately. We're just a like-minded group of people. The truth about much of what we do is that we're simply taking the path of least resistance. Is it just me? It's so much easier to be the same than it is to be different. Submitting to the darkness means this. It means allowing what's outside of you to set the agenda for what's inside of you. And the Bible teaches that what's inside of us will eventually flow out of us. The first option we're given is to submit to the darkness. It's easiest, unless, unless we're religious. And then it's easier to shame the darkness. That's when you take to social media or a restaurant booth to shame those who are like you once were. It's an interesting thing, really. We usually reserve our most, our strongest hatred for the people who are like we were when we were in the dark. Here's how it was told to me by one of my mentors. We usually shame most the people whose shame is most like ours. I've taken this in my life as great accountability. I believe you should too. Take note of the things that make you the most angry about others. They're most likely the things that make you most angry about yourself. So enter the good news. What if, and you know there is, what if there's a better option? What if there's a more holy option? That gets us closer to this teaching of Jesus and actually closer to the heart of God because those two things are always the same thing. I wanna to propose to you today a more holy alternative over and above submitting to it, over and above shaming it. I believe that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter five, we are to serve the darkness. Not with our allegiance, but with our lives. I believe that's what Jesus was saying. Light serves rather than shout, it serves. Rather than sever, it serves. Rather than seethe, it serves. Big question for the morning. You guys still in this? 
What does it look like for the light, as strange as this phrase may sound to you, what does it look like for the light to serve the darkness? Can the light with its warmth and healing actually do something hopeful and holy for the darkness? Emphatically, I will tell you, as a very large group of people gathered today, emphatically, yes, it can. But remember how we started this conversation, Vertical. It won't be easy. And true to God and the fashion in which he does things, he shows us how, not through a sermon, but through a story. Although we're only told about her life in eight different small places inside of scripture, and four of those are actually in the Christmas story, I believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, shows us exactly the path that we should take when interacting with the darkness that surrounds us just as it surrounded her. Last week, Austin told you about in the Old Testament, a man named Joseph having his prison. Today, I will tell you that in the New Testament, Mary had a pregnancy. Before her pregnancy begins, she is visited by an angel and called highly favored. I'm sure that description stuck with her, don't you think? Wouldn't it stick with you if God showed up supernaturally through an angel and told you that you were highly favored? I'm sure she never forgot it. But as I read the story of her life, I will be honest with you, even as a professional Christian, her story confuses me because her story doesn't look like someone who was blessed by God. Let me show you what I mean. I'll read this so it will go quickly. She becomes pregnant supernaturally. This is a fact that people still have trouble believing. As a result, the lover of life determines in response that he's going to leave her. That's a story for another day. She leaves town during her pregnancy to be with family. One can only assume to avoid judgment as a whore in the scarlet letter. With Joseph, who thankfully decides to say only because an angel also visited him, she gives birth far from home in a home for animals. Then she's forced to go on the run in order to keep her baby from being killed by the government. And for those of us that know the rest of the story, there's some irony there. Much later on, this son that she gives birth to in his late 20s and early 30s appreciates a rebel reputation. He's highly misunderstood. And he takes special care to take on the religious establishment that held his people together through hundreds of years of being slaves them finding their own land and fighting for that land and then having that land taken from them and being exiles to the end of the earth only to make their way back then to be ruled by the Romans. This was the religious fabric of his people and Jesus, the son of Mary, decides to take on the fabrications of the religious people of his day. Don't you know that Mary lost some sleep over the activities publicly of her son? Now, we should put this against all the promises made by the angel to Mary as he announced the arrival of Jesus. We get a glimpse into the confusion that she must have known while she was raising this young man. The angel says to her, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him a throne like David. He'll reign forever. He'll be called holy. His name is Jesus, clarifier, the son of God. I can't imagine how confused, how heartbroken Mary must have been at times as she watched her son live his life. But there's this one thing that Mary had, a conviction, I believe, in the truest sense 
of the word. Deep down, she knew this. She was chosen. She was chosen to bring Jesus into the world in human form. She holds a title that can be held by no one else ever. Jesus's mom. You know that feeling, don't you mothers? Oh yeah, you're Ben's mom. Yeah, since that day apparently. We see through the small description that we have of her life. She knew no one, no matter what they did to him, no matter what they did to her, could take her title away. As a result, Mary bravely engaged with the darkness as she lived, even the darkness that eventually ended up murdering her son. Now to humanize this part of the story, just a touch. Remember that while Mary was watching, as the Bible accounts, while Mary was watching her son Jesus be publicly murdered in humiliating and painful fashion, she did not yet know the rest of the story. So I submit to you today, does this sound like a person who was highly favored? A person who would give birth to the king not a human king, but a heavenly king. I want us to think about this story in a new way today because I believe it will give us what we need to engage with the darkness, not just through the Christmas season, but for the rest of our lives. Mary from her teenage years on followed the light and in so doing literally served the darkness. Her life shows us that we most likely will be called to do difficult things. And this is the meat of this teaching, so tune in, okay? Her life shows us that we will most likely be called to do difficult things for the sake of others. When we sign up for the Christian life, that's exactly what we're saying we're willing to do. We're admitting that we are a smaller part of a larger story and we are willing to, with every day that we are given, serve that larger story. Contrary to popular and modern Christianity, we're announcing we know that it's about more than just us. I believe this is the heart of the song that Mary is now famous for writing. She wrote it after seeing very clearly and very young what her life was to be about. If you're a young person in this room, don't believe you have to buy into the confusion. You can see very early on with clarity the life that God has designed for you. Mary did it. Listen to her words. She's celebrating God. This is actually worship through song recorded in the Bible. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. That's hard to read in Glugstadt, Mississippi. Her words serve us today by being a clear reminder that God's desire for us is that we keep our focus on others. Others who have less, believe less, know less, and feel less worthy. This is the message of the life of Mary. See, the amazing thing about when you experience the love of Jesus, the everlasting light, and I mean in a firsthand, up-close kind of way, it pulls on your heartstrings 
so violently that they cannot help when released, but to show the everlasting love and light of God to the people around you. The Bible puts it this way more concisely in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Pause, let's just take a minute. This is off script, but I've got some extra time, okay? I just wonder today, in our world that is so desperately broken and dark and confused and assigning the problems to the wrong things, I wonder if they can look at the church, not just in America, but around the world, and if they could say this about us, it's the love of Christ that controls that group of people. Clearly I understand They're different than me, but in a way that is attractive and not repulsive. We are losing ground inside of the church and especially outside of the church because we are letting other things control us than the love of Christ. We recognize what love looks like, even tough love, don't we vertical church? I wonder if it's the second part that we've lost. The Bible says we have concluded this, that one died for all. See, in this way, I can dodge your political affiliation. I really don't care. I can also dodge your skin color. I can also dodge your yesterday. I can also dodge whether I believe or not you're actually going to change. None of that stuff is up to me. I believe that one came and one died for all of us. You don't have to pass my test to receive the love of God over your story. Thank God we have Christmas every year to remind us of that fact. Richard Rohr, a Christian thinker who I've quoted in this room before, I don't believe in everything that he says, but he gets some things right. He's identified five lessons that we have stopped teaching our children and we have stopped reminding each other of. One of those I believe is worth mentioning in our last few minutes together today. One of the five lessons of initiation that Richard Rohr brings up in his book, Adam's Return. And it's the one I believe that Mary would say to us if we could actually give her the stage today. Quote, your life is not about you. Here's how Richard puts it. My life is not about me, it's about God. It's about a willing participation in a larger mystery. At this time, we do this not by rejecting or running from what is happening, but by accepting our current situation. What if Mary had said, no thank you? We accept our current situation, we ask God to be with us in it. Our lives are about allowing life to be done to us. Check this out. This is Mary's prayer at the beginning and Jesus's prayer at the end. He's referencing Mary's response to the angel, let it happen to me as you have said, and Jesus' prayer in the garden, it's not what I want, God, it's what you want. How do we dodge this in the Bible so frequently, but we do? Big question, we're almost finished, okay? What could God do in this town with this many people with this kind of posture? We don't yet know. To understand this fully, we must see That in the end, it isn't about the stages, it isn't about the sermons, it isn't about the songs, it isn't about the dominations, it isn't about the buildings, it isn't about the programs, and it isn't about the budget. It's about being the light. That sounds a lot more simple, doesn't it? Let me put it this way. Broadmoor, they're the light. 
Pine Lake, they're the light. Vertical, you're the light. Christ United Methodist in Jackson, you're the light. Redeemer, you're the light. Madison Heights up the road, you're the light. Fondren Church, a place we don't visit very often, you're the light. What if we all saw ourselves as the light instead of the segments that we have put ourselves in? We have to get this straight if we're gonna be part of the light. We are the reflection of it, not the origination of it. We aren't the sun people with its own source of light around which the world revolves. We are the moon reflecting that light around the world and chasing the darkness. We have a part to play, but we aren't writing the story. This is how it goes with the light. Sometimes you get to sit in it and sometimes you get to reflect it and both are a privilege and both are fulfilling. And joining with Jesus, we're joining with him to be the light in the darkness and for the darkness. Jesus says this so concretely. I am the light of the world, John 8, followed by you are the light of the world, Matthew 5. It's hard work. What could possibly motivate us to this difficult task? Last phrase for today. We must remember that Jesus didn't give up on us. And we must not give up on others. As we finish this year and head into another that will most certainly hold fresh challenges and opportunities, we must bind together as a community, not to submit to the darkness and not to shame the darkness. May it never be so at Vertical Church. We will serve it by reflecting the light of the one who rescued us from our before and mercifully placed us in our after. Let's pray. Jesus, today we have no demands, no requests, no would you pleases. In this holy moment, as a group of friends and strangers, we just say thank you. We are overwhelmed with a heart of gratitude because of who you are because of who you've been to us. So rather than asking something of you to close today, we make a promise to you, those of us that can. We will live the rest of our lives being the light as a thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the special place that allows us to have these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys, don't forget.